Good morning and welcome to the Mr. Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Montrum. It is Monday, November 16th, the morning after the Washington football team's 30-27 to loss at Detroit. Here to talk about that and other things, it's the rigged election of my clear landslide result, Matt Searle. Hey, Matt. Hi, Jamie. How are you? I'm good. We haven't talked about the election. Uh, is it still in doubt for you? Um, I mean, is, is the result in doubt? No. Is the... Uh outcome of the result in doubt? Of course it is, because it's 2020, and who knows what's going to happen. Hanging in the balance. Let's talk about some things that aren't Trump or COVID. Um, Starting with the Washington football team. Maybe as bad. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, The one good thing about them is that they have been remarkably COVID-free so far. That's true. And so I also was, like, very checked out on the season on the decade on the franchise um and they sort of pulled me back in yesterday you know like i didn't even know that they were playing detroit at the start of the day like my neighbor asked me he's a steelers fan uh lucky son of a bitch uh he asked me who's who's washington playing today i said i honestly have no idea i know they're not on a bye because that already happened uh i had no idea and then i you know Found out it was Detroit, but Detroit went up like what twenty four to three at the half, something like that. Something like that, yeah. I watched none of it, and then I get like a red zone channel cut in randomly later in the day. It's twenty four all. Don't I still not quite sure how that happened, but I saw the end game, the whole end game exchange from like Detroit kicking a field goal to go up twenty seven twenty four, to Detroit ultimately kicking the game-winning field goal as time expired. That window of time was like the first real fan experience of the season for me, and it was not a good one. Well, but I mean, that makes it accurate. Did it remind you of what it used to feel like? It was it was ridiculous. Like, all the different aspects of... It's not a collapse. I mean, they came back from 24-3 down. And it was never like you expected them to win. They're still on the road, like playing for overtime against uh, whatever the Lions suck. But Stafford, I feel like Stafford wins those games. Um, it was just the way in which it happened was really chef's kiss Washington football. But I mean, that's the key, isn't it? Don't we have this conversation again and again and again? I mean, there was a whole thing afterwards where, you know, People were like, oh, that was a devastating loss. And Pete Haley of the NBC Sports Washington podcast called it, you know, one of the 10 worst losses he's ever seen or, or something. One of the worst losses he's ever seen. And he's, I was a like, that, that, he, he's a child. He's a sweet summer child. It's true. But I just like, yeah, it was an annoying loss. But the, to me, to me, the narrative was different. It was they went down by whatever it was, 24 to 3 or whatever it was. And yeah. Then, sure, they managed to claw their way back, but there was no point, including when they tied the game, that I thought they were going to win. I just didn't. I just, this, I don't know. Like, the team looks better than they have in previous years. They're not nearly as dramatically horrible. Um, But it's, it was, it was bad. I mean, it was just, it was just bad and it was not fun to watch. And it was exactly what I expected. I was, I fin- it finished. And you know what I felt? I felt relief that I got to watch a bunch of really good games on um, red zone. That's what I felt. 
But, well, look, I mean, we can get into the fact that it was a respectable showing. Um, but I just want to I want to zero in on this moment of, you know, Alex Smith leading them on the game tying field goal drive. 16 seconds left. Outcomes hanging in the balance. The Giants are beating the Eagles. So whoever's leading the NFC East is only going to have three wins. And the, and Washington could be among that bunch. So, you know, all all semi-interesting things. Like, I'm actually engaged with the Washington football experience for the first time. And I had gone running earlier in the afternoon, needed a shower real bad. I'm just going to be honest with you and our listeners. Um, I appreciate this transparency. I'm going to do a quick rinse before overtime. I'm just going to jump in and out, whatever, like, just get this out of the way, settle in for overtime. I take the world's fastest shower. I get out. I'm tallying off. My wife goes, there's not going to be overtime, honey. <laughs> the 16 seconds. And somehow they gave Detroit an opportunity at a 59-yard game-winning field goal. Now, another aspect of this that I find to be supremely Washington is that the Redskins kicker couldn't even try a 59-yard field goal. The Lions kicker made it with room to spare. The other thing uh, Redskins about this is not just that, like, the crucial play on this drive that really gave them that opportunity, Detroit, was the Chase Young roughing the passer. I saw a little bit of, like, oh, that was a bad call sort of stuff on Twitter. That was the right call and would be made nine times out of ten. On top of which, on the Washington drive that was, like, whatever, 17 plays or whatever it was, they were— 17 plays, 38 yards. They were the beneficiaries of two, yes. one exceptionally questionable call and a second one that was somewhat questionable, both of which, unless I'm misremembering, both of which were on like fourth down and, and so gave the, the PI called uh, whoever was covering McLaurin. It was like a fourth and four egregious pass interference call. Yes. The Redskins yeah. beneficiaries. <laughs> Uh, and so, so it's it's tough to say after you were the beneficiaries not once but twice as the visiting team of these crazy calls to keep your last ditch drive alive. Um, you know, I, I can't blame the refs. Chase Young, it was stupid, um, but I didn't think it was. I didn't watch it and think that it was egregious or that he was. You know, it didn't make me think differently of him. If that makes any sense. No, I mean, it was a bad play in a terrible spot. Like, I don't devalue him as an asset, but when your top asset, like your franchise's top asset makes that sort of play, that sucks. It just adds to the Washingtonness of it all. The other aspect of that, that I thought was, again, I mean, just like, <clears throat> it's like the comedian saying uh, that I heard recently, a hat on a hat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, is that Stafford, he let go of that ball as Young was like four steps away. That was a deep ball to a receiver that was wide open behind the defense. It should have been with a decent throw, a walk off like 60 yard touchdown. I don't even know how that happens in that situation. Well, I mean, I, I to me, the answer was obvious as soon as Troy Apke trotted into the screen a few minutes, a few seconds later, um, that that pretty much explains that to me because he has not been good this year, and 
I don't know what was going on, but if he was involved in the coverage, that is why that happened. I, I mean, yeah, I, I just, I thought that was astounding. Like, because I knew the game was going to end on this 16 second drive again, 16 seconds game over, or at least regulation over 16 second drive. Not only did they end up giving the game winning field goal, but they actually had tried to deliver the game winning touchdown even before that. To me, possibly the most Washington thing about it all is that they didn't even get the uh, luxury of being the most heartbreaking, devastating loss of the week because that would have to go to Buffalo. Um, also, though, people, I mean, nobody, nobody, this game, even though it was like exciting to the finish, like, do you think this game even like got a sports center highlight? Um, <laughs> yes. I, I think it did. I forget what it was. There was one. Oh, uh, DeAndre Swift hurdled somebody in the first in the first half, and I think that got um, I think that got some coverage. It was miserable. It was made more miserable when I switched over to Red Zone and watched the Dolphins for about you know two minutes or whatever, and remembered our discussion, your point, and our discussion about Tua, um, and should should Washington have taken Tua in place of Chase Young? and so on and so forth, and I argued emphatically, emphatically against. And I saw Tua throw maybe six passes yesterday while I was paying attention, and you were right, and I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Uh, discuss. I mean, he's healthy, you know? He's healthy, and he's in a good, he's on a good team. He's in a good situation. So I, it's, it's great right now. But, I mean, yeah, so Tua, just for those who aren't paying attention, 3-0. Uh, inserted into the middle of like a, a, a team that's hoping to, to make the playoffs. Yeah, inserted into the starting lineup middle of the season. 3-0. and uh, His QB rating's 105. He has five touchdowns, no picks in three games. And when he is playing, when he throws the ball, you watch, and there's none of this, what we had for weeks and weeks with Dwayne Haskins, where you're like, well, if you kind of squint – you can uh, you can see it. You can he might be okay. Like with Tua, it took three plays, six plays, and you're like, oh well, yeah. I mean, whether he's great this year or not, he is a starting quarterback who is going to be good, who is going to lead this team, and there was just no doubt. And it was so drastically different from anything Washington has had to deal with lately. So that it's, was it's like. Bad. His like uh, it's not even like running ability because I haven't seen him make that many like run plays, but I feel like every drop back I see of his ends up with him kind of like scrambling within the pocket. Like he makes himself small in a way that like he just disappears. It's it's kind of Russell Wilson esque. I don't know. It, I can it, see that comparison. I get heavy Russell Wilson vibes like every time I see him play. I would buy that. I would buy that. But so that was depressing. Everything was depressing. But the big question for you, I think has to be, did this like little glimpse of your old fandom towards the end uh, make you more or less interested heading into next week? Couldn't possibly be less interested. I, I mean, I, I was, I think if they won and NFC East is very much up for grabs with Washington being like right there with Philly and New York. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know who they're playing next week. You know what I mean? I'm looking at the schedule. I'm, I'm kind of seeing how we can stay on the, on the literal like playoff graphic uh, into December. <laughs> but as it is, I, I, dude, I was, I've been so checked out the whole, like going to Kyle Allen early and then like 
him getting hurt and Alex Smith being the quarterback. Like Dwayne Haskins and I, I mean, uh, like the, the team winning and losing and Dwayne Haskins' development were pretty much like the only things I was interested in this season. And neither of those things matters right now. No, it certainly doesn't. Um, it is it is not fun. I'm sure I will be watching next week. I do not even understand why anymore. Um, really I'm having, uh, I believe it's Cincinnati. I believe they are quite literally on to Cincinnati. Okay. Um, just like the whole, I still, we, I think the last time we podcasted might've been when they benched Haskins and went to Allen and we were like, what the fuck? What? Like, there must be something we don't know. But I think it really was that them just being like, A, we're done with Haskins. We've seen enough. And B, like, we think we can make a playoff run with Kyle Allen. Yeah. I mean, it seems so. It seems like what we didn't know is that they think Haskins is terrible. Like they just clearly think that he is not. Yeah. Which is bad. And so are you like, yeah, they probably know best. Or are you like, come on, you can't call the fight this early. Uh, I'm definitely in the, they probably know best camp for this one. Um, Especially because it's making the harder decision. If it was making the easy decision, I'd be more skeptical, but for them to choose to do this, they must be pretty darn sure. Um, because they've not only negated his value here, they've negated his value league wide. They, they, right. You know, it's not like they did it in a way where he's tradable or something. Um, yeah, he has no value. So no, I mean, but the whole NFL thing is weird for me this year because I'm really, really, really enjoying watching and having games on and sort of paying attention, but I'm not following. It's not like, penetrating it's not sinking in i'm not following it during the week as much i just really like having it on and now i'm to the point where i feel the same way about washington Uh than i do about the nfl as a whole it's like oh it's great to have sort of a destination every sunday um you know we turn it on you know have some snacks sit around have something to pay attention to but it's like then they lose and i'm like well whatever Okay. I mean, do you remember how devastating it used to be, how cranky it would make you, or at least me, I shouldn't speak for you because I don't know you that well, but like it would affect my week. It would affect how I interact with people. Oh yeah. It's like, who cares? You know, it's a, it's a freaking football game. Yeah. I wonder how much of that was because, you know, we were younger than, than now and had no children or really anything of actual importance in our lives. Well, I mean, when you put it like that, yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, I mean, is there anything else to say? Oh, it's like salt in the wound was, I was, I happened to be facing in my different fantasy leagues, like a bunch of people that for some reason had Washington players in their lineup. Like I was going against Antonio Gibson. I was going against McLaurin. I was going against McKissick in various leagues. All three of those dudes killed me. McKissick had seven, six yards. He had seven catches, none of which went for more than nine yards. McKissick yeah, had a touchdown despite having six yards rushing. Dude had like a 20-point fantasy week and basically was like a replacement-level player. Yeah, McKissick is the strongest possible argument for half point per reception rather than full point per reception that I can think of. Yeah. I mean, he literally had – I'm looking at his, his numbers. I think he had seven catches at seven points, 40-something yards, four plus – so that's 11 points receiving – had a touchdown, so that's like another six, I guess, uh, 17 and six yards. So it was probably like 
18 points. And that's not an 18-point fantasy performance. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, even getting rid of three-and-a-half points by doing half-point per reception is probably still not a 14-and-a-half-point fantasy performance. But I think we're at least all familiar with the, you know, guy falls into the end zone and, and it gets right. six points. You know, there's not much you can do about that. But full-point per reception, J.D. McKissick, uh, do not fit together in any sensible way at all. I mean, I would say, I mean, McLaurin's a beast. We all know that. I feel like from what I've seen, Gibson looks pretty encouraging. Yeah. Although Gibson was weird because today, every time he ran, I was like, man, he looks good. That looked like a good run. But then when I saw the actual numbers, it was kind of underwhelming. It was like 48 yards or something, right? Three and a half a carry. Yeah. It was weird because it looked better than it reads on paper. And if it hadn't been for the touchdowns, it would have been a a really mediocre fantasy outing. (laughs) I think this is very... Uh, symptomatic of the Alex Smith experience. Uh, McKissick, Gibson, and Barber, the, the backfield, had 12 catches for 70 yards. <laughs> so 12 catches, 5 yards a catch. 6 yards maybe. Um, yeah, that's that's a lot. That's high volume and very few yards per, per completion. Yeah, I wonder how much is Alex Smith and how much is Scott Turner and how much is, I I don't know. I mean, I I thought Alex Smith looked good. He looked better than I saw him look at any point last year. Uh, I'm sorry, two years ago, two years ago, obviously last year. That was not a joke. The numbers to the receivers are good. The numbers to the backfield are terrible because McKissick had 15 targets. What? He had 43 yards, 15 targets. Uh, anything about the defense? I, I mean, I literally all I saw was that last drive. <laughs> no, they're just they're underwhelming. Even when they're good, they're not as good as they should be or as you want them to be or as they need to be. And and I'm at a loss to really explain why i thought replacing the coaching staff would help i thought the talent up front would overcome a lot i mean i guess the linebackers are truly terrible um john bostic appears to be a complete disaster in coverage um but i i don't know man they shouldn't be this bad and the line is not getting the pressure they should they're not getting the sacks they should they're not having the impact you would expect it's really i i find the defense arguably more demoralizing than um, than the offense. Uh, they had one sack yesterday. Um, yeah. Gosh, it, it's, it's brutal. I'm looking at the, the standings. The entire NFC East net points is between 29 and 86. Negative. With <laughs> Washington at negative 38. Negative 38 is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I, it's, and it's weird because, you know, I say I haven't been following NFL stuff outside of the watching the games, but I do still listen to, you know, the NBC sports watching podcast with those guys. I listen to a couple other Redskins related podcasts and I don't understand why I do that. Like, I guess it's just sort of comfort food and it's, you know, it's like, it's kind of like hanging out with old friends where you may not have something specific you want to talk to them about anymore, but yeah, they're comfortable. They're friends. It's something to listen to. I guess it's the podcasting equivalent of that, but I just, I don't know. I like, I was listening to 
the NBC Sports Washington post-game wrap-up pod. And as I'm listening, they were so exercised about various parts of it and upset about this and questioning that. And I was just like, I don't care. I'm happy to listen to them arguing about it. But like, it's so far away from how I react to it emotionally that I'm, I'm not quite sure what to make of that. It's, it's a sad state of affairs. I don't have anything else to say about Washington. Do you? Me neither. No, I'm done. All right. Pop culture stuff. Did you watch the Mandalorian episode three yet? I did. I did. I'm, I'm okay. caught up. Okay. Well, uh, if we're going to talk about that for a minute. If you haven't watched, you don't want spoilers. Log off forever. Uh, <laughs> how are you? Three, three episodes into the season. Uh, I thought the first episode of the season was so-so. I thought the second episode of the season was actually my favorite episode of the show so far. Maybe top what? top two or three, yeah. And then this week's so the third one I thought was okay. How about you? Uh, let me see if I can remember. <laughs> this, I liked the first one because it had the guy from Justified as the guy from Justified. Yes. <laughs> Which was cool. Timothy Oliphant, like just playing a marshal. By the way... Not only is he a marshal in Justified and a marshal in Mandalorian, but also a marshal in this season of Fargo. Yeah, and I think, isn't there one more? I thought I saw a graphic. I thought there was one more time he's been a marshal. I think he's just the go-to marshal, you know? I mean, it's not even like that he has a type. It's that, like, he has an exact character that he plays with just in every show. Well, I mean, and technically, he plays the same character on The Good Place, very briefly. Oh, I um, he was in that. Um, he he has a cameo, and he has a cameo allegedly as Timothy Oliphant, but he's clearly playing uh, Raylan Givens, like uh, clearly. He in an alternate reality, he is just the drug dealer from Go in different movies. Well, and I loved him as I remember. It, this is such an annoying Bill Simmonsism, but when I saw Go, I thought he was going to be like a star. I thought he seemed so cool in Go, and then he just never never became what I thought he was going to. I, I know he's done a lot of good stuff that people like, but I, I thought he was going to be somebody we would like come back to again and again. And yeah, I don't and, feel like he has been. And I really enjoyed Justified. So I'm not, I'm not shitting on Timothy Oliphant. I enjoyed his, I guess that was episode one of season two of Mandalorian. I liked Correct. that. Episode yes. two wasn't really feeling it. The spiders, like again, they're like facing a monster in a cave. It's just, I feel like that's like been half the episode. I don't know, whatever. Um, but there were stakes. There were actual stakes in that one because we're at the point now where, like, there's no stakes if, if Baby Yoda's in danger. Oh, I, I thought you were, like, oh, concerned that the Razor's crest was not going not gonna to fly again. No, by bringing in the woman and her eggs and putting a few uh -huh. ticking clocks on that, you know, you can't go to light speed and you, they can't get too cold and, and there's this, like, time limit. Like, there was something that there were stakes on and, and there's just not otherwise. Cause I don't believe Mando is ever in any jeopardy. I don't believe baby Yoda is ever in any true jeopardy. So it, that, that's why I thought the second one was better. Something could have happened. It didn't, but it could have, which would have been cool. I liked the third episode quite a bit. I felt like a lot of stuff happened. It did. Um, I was thoroughly entertained. There's a lot of, there was a lot of action. There was a lot of like really cool like shots, you know, freeze frames. Um, and part of why I enjoyed it so much was that afterward, like I enjoy it just like knowing nothing about Star Wars. And then afterward, I read like the recap. I, I tend to read the Ben Lindbergh recap on The Ringer. And I, re I learn all this stuff 
like all these layers you know like those three other mandalorians that showed up i just thought that was like we were being introduced to these characters but no star wars people know these people yeah yeah but you've got to be a pretty a pretty high level star wars person like i knew enough to know that they had been in the cartoon but i've never seen those episodes of the cartoon i don't know anything about them Um, i think you have to be pretty intense to fully get that now when they reference at the end, they make the reference to uh, Ahsoka Tano. That one resonated. Like we, we in my household, like my son was very excited by that possibility. Um, Is that the Jedi? Mm-hmm. This is the Jedi that we're going to meet, presumably in either the next or some future episode. Yeah, she was a genuinely cool story in the cartoons because she starts as Anakin Skywalker's apprentice and then goes through the clone Wars series and it comes back in the later rebel series and stuff like that one would be cool. She's not even just a side character. She would be a pretty major, uh, a major deal for her to show up in live action. So that one was neat. The whole, yeah, th- this episode was neat. I just, I feel like they've made Mando really stupid. <laughs> like when he got knocked into the monster pit or whatever on that ship, just everything. He's like wandering around and he's like, Hey, have you ever seen somebody wearing my clothes? And like, it's it, like, is this really your approach to everything is just, you go to a bar and you ask these questions and I, I don't know, it's very weird. And then I loved the revelation to him that in fact, he is like uh, raised in a very specific ultra Orthodox sect that he was not aware of. Like yeah. that was cool, but it makes the character seem weird. Yes. I, I was puzzled about his like, I don't know. He was basically realizing that he's like a member of a cult of a cult. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, he's like, no, you, you're the cult figure, not me. Um, well, I mean, yeah. I, I, I like that. Added another layer. I don't know if like that hurts his uh, standing as our hero. I, I don't know either. It'll be interesting to see where they go with it. I, I will say that uh, there's, I have a certain, same thing with Mandalorian that I have with the NFL where like, I'm super glad it's back. It is destination viewing. It's something we watch as a family. I am thrilled with every episode. I like all the little like signifiers, like the the sounds and the music and the, the, you know, everything. Like I really totally enjoy Mandalorian have no complaints whatsoever about it. But at the same time, when the episode is over, I'm kind of like, okay, cool. Like I've no, there's, there's not been one where I'm like, Oh, Hey, let's run that back and and look at parts of it again or really revisit it. You know, it's, it's, it's a pleasant show. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel the same way. I, I look forward to it. I'm always pleased by it. I enjoy like reading about it and talking about it. I'm trying to just in, in, in like, you know, simmer in that and, and let that go on for as long as it can. Because I feel like I'm going to get bored at some point. I feel like I'm going to get tired of the Adventure of the Week format that doesn't really go anywhere. And at some point, I'll opt out. And I don't, I don't know if this is a good comparison. Because uh, it's, yeah, I don't know, it doesn't hold up very well. But like, I was really into The Walking Dead for like two seasons, three seasons. And it just lost all momentum, you know, and every week was like a different challenge. You know, there was a different like threat. And I, I, yeah, it just got tiring after a while. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. I actually didn't even have a chance to have that experience with the TV show because I had already had the exact same experience with the comic, which had the same problem. It's like, you read it for a bit and you're like, oh, this is so cool. It's like, what if a zombie movie never ended, man? And then you realize that like, well, then nothing. Then they just keep doing this and they keep going places. And every time it turns out that in a way, aren't we all the walking dead? And it was well, just, I just like, whatever. I just don't see Mando. I don't see Disney like stopping the Mando train after like three seasons. <laughs> I feel like this is going to go on into like, like throughout the 2020s. Well, it could, although what they could also be doing is they could be, Mando could be a backdoor pilot to an Ahsoka Tano show, which could then be a backdoor pilot into, you know what I mean? They could just always have a couple Star Wars shows running, but let the individual ones come to an end. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I, the, the sh- one thing I'll say about the show is it looks expensive. Every episode, I'm like yeah. stunned by how good it looks. Um, so, and, and the fact that they keep it the runtime to like 30 minutes or whatever, oh, thank God. It's yes. so so far in its favor. Like yes. I mentioned Fargo, I'm watching Fargo. It's such a slog. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. a really beautiful show. I enjoy the characters, but it's like every episode is going to be like whatever, 60 minutes, and it just gets a little long. Yeah. yeah, I do not have patience for it. I mean, if I if I want something that's longer than sixty minutes, I'll listen to two random dudes talking about uh, you know a TV show or something on a podcast. Uh, that's that's I, the only way I can go. I have one more TV show, and I'll say I'll say I started watching Queen's Gambit, and I'm not going to drop any spoilers on Queen's Gambit in part because I'm only three episodes in. Uh, I really resisted this show for like a month. It was like number one trending on Netflix. Like the algorithm was real, like really wanted me to watch this show. Uh, every critic was praising it. Uh, I had multiple friends recommending it. Finally, a person whose taste I trust, Nick Torres, if you're listening, shout out to Nick. Um, he said, just finished Queen's Gambit with the family. It's like a mix between Mad Men and uh, the fabulous or the whatever marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's a marvelous Mrs. Maisel, the Mrs. Yeah. Maisel one. Yeah, yeah. Which my wife and I loved both of those shows. So Nick said that I took that to my wife and I said we need to watch the show. And we started this weekend. We watched three episodes. I love this show. I need more of this show in my life. I'm already starting to get sad because I know it's going to be over soon <laughs> for us. <laughs> and I still don't even know why or how I like it so much. It's funny because we started watching it this weekend. Um, We are two episodes in sort of, and I say sort of because I have fallen asleep partway through both episodes, not because of the show. I quite like the show. I really like uh, what's her name? The lead actress, Anya Taylor-Joy. I think she's, she's just got a really unique look and I enjoy that. Uh, But for some reason it has knocked me unconscious both times. So I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it. But yeah, it's, it seems from the little bit I've stayed awake for, uh, it's seemed great. My wife's really into it. So uh, I think part of why I love it so much is that I was sure I was going to hate it. Like I was sure that this show about like a girl playing chess in the sixties was going to be super boring and like, a great show, but in a very critically acclaimed sort of way. Right. Yeah. Real, real <laughs> prestige TV crap. Yeah. And like, I just had the lowest expectations in terms of enjoyment. Uh, I don't also like, I don't know chess. I mean, I don't know the first thing about it. They have these scenes where like showing chess matches and I, I couldn't even tell you like what I'm watching. 
but it's just like beautifully shot <laughs> and, and yes like she's super riveting you know so I, yeah i'm just like very in on the queen's gambit if anybody else out there was like me like very hesitant because it's a show about chess <laughs> give it a shot there's drugs there's alcohol i think there's some sex coming <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> it's weird though because it's like they're, they're very much telegraphing that like sexy time is on on its way but the show starts with her as like a very young girl and i don't know i'm already uncomfortable about it all I um, I'll need to I'll need to re-engage with it before the next time we talk so that I can speak to it a little more cogently. Um, yeah. But I liked it so far. I have the same reaction to Succession that you uh, spoke of. I, I haven't watched a single episode of it because I just like basically the ringer started pushing it so relentlessly that I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to watch your stupid show. So there, <laughs> I taught them a lesson. Succession was weird because I kind of fought through it. Like the first episode, I didn't like any of the characters, but there was so much talk around the show that I like decided to to stick in, you know, stick to it. And I was rewarded. Uh, I only, I've only seen the first season, I think. Um, but yeah, it was good. Yeah, I um, I don't know. Maybe I'll get around to it later. But because that's one where if you are the type of person, as I know you are, who likes consuming the media around the show, mm-hmm. there sure was a bunch of media around that show. Yeah, yeah, that one, that one was like, uh, yeah, that was driving the conversation. Uh, one other thing, pop culture thing. You might have other things, but one other thing uh, that I had to mention is I'm so excited for the War on Drugs live album that's coming out this week. And it's so brilliantly named Live Drugs. It's a good name. I, I have not been this hyped for a live album ever. I can't remember like a live album release where I've been excited. Uh, I am I'm aware of the war on drugs. I am not a fan in any way. Why is this live album so specifically enticing to you? Well, they've just dropped, they, they've done like four or five LPs over the past 10 years. And they've just gotten better and better in the last two the most recent of which came out three years ago. Uh, I think it was Deeper Understanding came out in 17 and um, Lost in a Dream came out in like 14. Those two records are like my favorite records uh, of the past, you know, five, six, 10 years. I love them so much. They're like just supreme dad rock creations. Um, I've never seen them live, but I heard they're great. Um, the, it's basically like one guy is like the driving force behind this band, writes all the songs, like lays down a lot of the instrumentals, at least for demo purposes, brings in the band to record and then goes out on the road. Like if you see him like playing um, like, you know, Fallon or Colbert or whatever, he's had like nine dudes <laughs> on stage. There's like four guitarists and it's a whole thing. Um, Anyway, I've been listening to like bootleg live performances of War on Drugs through like the Relist app uh, over the years. I've like enjoyed that. And now this is like a curated live double album that's mostly those last two records, like songs from those two masterpieces I spoke of, uh, curated and sequenced as if like this was the War on Drugs concert. Uh, I've already put in my pre-order for the double vinyl. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, it's just hitting me at a time where like, not only do I would love the war on drugs, but I've like really fallen down like a Grateful Dead wormhole this year. 
and have gotten really into live dead. Okay. So it just kind of like, it's all like layered. And like I said, I haven't been this excited for a live release, maybe ever live drugs. Look for it. Yeah. I, I am rarely a fan of live music recordings. I just, I think it, it's the worst of both worlds. It's all the bad parts of live music and uh, without the immediacy of, you know, live music, it's, it's really just, it's, it's, uh, I can't even think of what my favorite live record, probably something from when I actually listened to Dave Matthews significantly would probably be what it would well, be, but I, and Dave's I have no a little idea. Jamming, and I think that's key is like a, like a jam band. The, the studio version of that is never going to be like the, the ultimate version. And it's not that Warren War Drugs is a jam band, but they have jam tendencies. So there's, you know, there's like extended, there's some like really long songs in their repertoire. Like their last record had like a 12 minute song that had been cut down from like a, a 20 minute version. And I swear the song is like my favorite song. It's, it's just like an entire, it could soundtrack my life for like days on end. They have another song coming out that I think they're going to release as a single that's 32 minutes. <laughs> I haven't heard it. I'm dying to hear it. I said it about the war on drugs, Matt. Well, I will. Uh, I, you, your enthusiasm is, as always, contagious, and I will check it out and try to give even the live album uh, an honest shake and see what I think. I mean, thirty—I haven't spent thirty-two minutes uh, doing anything. My kids know that if a song is longer than three minutes and twenty seconds, they should probably apologize for making me listen to it. So, um, I—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's not exactly even adjacent to my wheelhouse, but hey, I'll give it a shot. I don't even know how to describe like. A lot of the comparisons for War on Drugs, if like you've never heard War on Drugs before, just so you have some idea. Uh, it's rock music, but it's like pretty mellow, and there's there there are synths involved. Yeah, I know uh, I'm familiar with some of their songs. Um, it's in like it's the hard driven, versions. but it's very layered, and they get a lot of comparisons to like Dire Straits, <laughs> which is kind of funny, um, or like '80s Bruce Springsteen. Okay. Uh, but I don't really like Dire Straits or 80s Springsteen all that much. <laughs> so I'd, I hesitate to throw those out there. But just so, so you have some like point of reference. All right. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll come back uh, more informed about uh, 60s chess and live 32-minute war on drugs tracks uh, by the next time we talk. Um, the other one that I wanted to touch on was did you – I don't know if we talked about it, but did you watch Palm Springs on Hulu? Yes, the Andy Samberg movie? Yes. 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 That was uh, that was one of the most enjoyable things I've watched over this entire lockdown, quarantine, whatever you want to call it, period. Um, and I kept meaning to talk to you about it, but we just never got around to it. So, who was the the woman in that? The, the other lead? Oh God, I don't even remember. Um, I'm googling this because I, I I know it was somebody that I'm familiar with, but now I'm yeah. Familiar. Oh, it was what's her name from How I Met Your Mother. Um, I'm mixing up her name with the guy who does Star Wars Rebels. It's Maloney or uh, Malati, Christina Malati or something like that. Yes, Malati. She was great. Yeah, she was really good. I just really liked it. I thought it was really clever, fun. Like, that's about the level of engagement that I think I'm good for these days is like, give me a decent high concept, well executed quickly. Um, and I am just, I am so there for it. How did you make it this far without watching this? This was like early quarantine. I did. I did. We just haven't potted much. And when we have potted, we haven't, we haven't talked about it. Um, I think if we, if we go back through our various uh, channels of 
planning for pods that we never do, whether it was text or Gchat, I definitely mentioned it like months ago and just never got around to it. But what the, the peek behind the curtain on this one is that we actually did a rundown so that we remember at least a few of the things we wanted to talk about. And because I was remembering, I put it on there. That's all. All right. Well, we're going to try to do this each Monday, uh, Monday morning. And we're going to, we have an official Google Doc <laughs> that, that will keep us honest on the rundown. Um, but yeah, as far as it comes to the football, I wouldn't expect too much uh, cutting edge. <laughs> yeah, if you want cutting edge insight, I, I will go back and yet again refer to uh, Chris Cooley's film breakdowns now on Kevin Sheehan's podcast. Really insightful, good stuff uh, there. Much more than my dreary uh, self-loathing and lack of understanding for why I keep watching this. Dude, I feel so bad for the Washington football media industrial complex. Like this just has got to, it's got to suck. Not I feel, I feel especially bad for the people who have been doing it for, you know, minimum 10 years or more. It's like, you'd think you would have had something good in that time, but it's just relentless, nonstop badness. Well, right. Like, and I, as a fan, I just can't authentically like just start rooting for another team. Like I would love to be a Pittsburgh fan. That would be wonderful. My neighbors have a great time. I just can't do it as a media member. I would be like, so actively pursuing a job <laughs> with a decent team. Pittsburgh. Like, I, sure, I, I think that's part of why I really like Nora Princiati now with the ringer is because she covered Washington for, I want to say six months or something um, for the Washington times during which time I should point out that she, managed to get sexually harassed badly enough that it was she was named in one of the Washington Post stories. Um, but then she got out. And I think like uh, it's like the part of Shawshank Redemption where they talk about how, you know, Andy got out and that sort of gave all the rest of them hope. And, and they were just like, uh, you know, you know, they, they, even though it didn't change anything for them in any real sense, just knowing that that could happen was such a wonderful thing. That's that's whenever I hear Nora Princiati on a podcast or something, that's what I think about. It's like how great it is that she was stuck in Washington covering this team and then just isn't anymore. Like so quickly, like she's free. Like we always talk about the whatever whatever the name is now, the Skins Talk Pod guys. Like, do you think JP Mitch and uh, and the kid are? <laughs> <laughs> Or like Beep. tapes to uh, whoever the radio station is in Arizona. <laughs> like, we can have the Kyler Murray show for ten years. <laughs> we can I mean, for some for some people, I would say yes. But for those guys, I feel like all three of them are such Washington lifers and, and Washington football lifers. Even if they weren't media members, that like. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not not to sell them short in any way. I mean, they're all very good at what they do. They're all um, they they could make it in any market. I'm not in any way saying they couldn't, but I don't know if they would want to. I think I think to a certain extent, suffering here is you know part of the deal for them. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe they'll all prove me wrong and, and be in better places soon, and I can look at them the same way I look at what's her name. But. Uh, Man, I just I can't imagine it. I think about the three years that I was directly involved, and it seems like thirty years in my memory. And I wonder if ten years would have seemed like a hundred or two hundred or or just eternity. Like it just I, I don't know how they do it. It's amazing. Well, there's nothing stopping us from becoming an Arizona Cardinals podcast. 
what's stopping us is that, you know, uh, I don't think I want to pay attention to them either, but that's the thing. What we get to do that they don't is we get to be like, you know what, the football team's kind of boring me now, but hey, did you see Mandalorian? And like, imagine if JP, Mitch, and Pete just one episode decided to spend the entire time talking about, I don't know, Queen's Gambit uh, entirely. Uh, like, they, I don't think they're allowed to do that. I need to know if JP, Mitch, and Pete, if given the opportunity to have a pop culture segment, would, they, would there be any overlap? Would they talk about the Mandalorian, Queen's Gambit, live drugs, and Palm Springs? Uh, I feel like Palm Springs is the one where all five of us might overlap. Pete, I know, plays lots of video games and listens to EDM because he is, as you say, the kid. Uh, I don't know much Everybody about the other two. Mandalorian, right? I feel like that's got to be the number one big tent pop culture thing. Perhaps, but I feel like if somebody didn't, it would be JP and possibly Pete as my number two choices for who would not. You know, the last time I saw JP was at an LCD sound system show. I I guarantee you that JP has fucked with the war on drugs. <laughs> that that checks out. I would I would I'm willing to go for that. Um, yeah. Well, we'll have to ask them. We'll, we'll we'll put it here, and I assume that naturally they will get forty odd minutes into our podcast. Like who wouldn't? So they'll they'll just answer. They'll just tell us if they if they don't listen to this. I'm going to be disappointed, and I think there's a very strong chance they don't listen to this. <laughs> oh, I would 100% assume that they would not listen. I will be astounded. Even if they, I think they sometimes check in with us a little bit, but I can't imagine they've stuck around this long. But I mean, if if they have, uh, we quite literally, as JP says, uh, owe them a beer. They can collect on that. Man, anytime. That was, that was a good. That was a good wrap up. All right, man. Uh, we'll be back uh, next Monday. All right. Talk to you then. Bye. See you.